Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Amazing. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, welcome here, guys. It's so good to be here with you this morning. As Pastor Dave said, my name is Spencer, and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Southside, and I actually only started here in September, and so I would like to share with you a couple of things that I've learned about being on staff here in this church, okay? So number one is if, if you don't like acronyms or abbreviations, this is not the church for you, okay? The first week that I was here, I was sitting there in meetings and conversations, and I felt like I was doing math in my head, trying to figure out what those three letters mean or what that abbreviation meant, you know, like VIP. VHQ, FTC, AIB, Youth Mez, Main Mez. I basically had a cheat sheet in my pocket for the first week to get through regular conversations because I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going. Um, number two is that no meeting ever ends on time. So if you're, if you're wondering uh, how I plan my meetings now, I have to make sure that there's uh, about 10 minutes for shenanigans, another 10 for a, a random rabbit trail, and at least a few for some interruptions. So um, just so you guys know, if you do have a meeting booked with somebody, plan for it to go late. Um, I am so excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. I get the very amazing privilege of continuing us in our journey through the book of John. And last week, um, Pastor Mike, he basically told us a story about the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So this was a, a man who was crippled his whole life and was healed by Jesus actually on the Sabbath day. And Sabbath is the word for rest. It means rest. And we actually first see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. It says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And we actually also see this in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. See, the Sabbath was created by God for man. Okay? It, was, it was a way for, for man to, to find spiritual and physical renewal and rest. It was a principle that allowed for us to basically say, okay, I can't do everything all the time, all at once. And so God gave us this principle of Sabbath to rest. But the Jews at the time that Jesus was, was on earth basically had turned this principle into a science where they believed that doing any work whatsoever on the Sabbath day was in violation to the law. And so because of this belief, the Jewish leaders basically were, were upset about what Jesus was doing. And they began to grow more suspicious of his teaching because they were trying to catch him in the act of violating their law. And this healing that happened on the Sabbath day was, was a violation of their laws. And so we pick up kind of where this contentious conversation begins. So why don't you guys follow along with me? Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father." Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. 
Very truly, I tell you, a time is, the time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is responding to these Jewish leaders in telling them who he is. He's basically making it really clear to them that I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. And he actually goes on further to say that he's not, you don't have to take my word for it. He's saying, you don't have to trust me. Actually, the Father testifies to who I am. The Father tells you who I am as well. He even says, John the Baptist, he can testify to who I am as well. He continues saying, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in my own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do, do not think that I will accuse you before your father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Okay, let's take a breath, all right? That's enough cardio for me for the whole week, I think. Um, but I think it's really important what Jesus says here in his response to these Jewish leaders. So I want to break this down. You see, the Jews were confronted by Jesus about the way that they actually daily lived their lives. When, when the Jews were, were talking to Jesus at this time, they actually only had five books of the scripture. They only had the first five books of the Bible, which was called the Torah. And so as Jewish boys, they were actually taught in these scriptures and taught to, study, to study these scriptures. And these Jewish leaders were very familiar. They would pour over these scriptures daily. And so they were so familiar with these scriptures. And what's crazy to me is that actually within these scriptures, there was what we call prophecies, which are basically windows into the future, future events, future things to happen, maybe promises from God. And in these prophecies, out of these prophecies, around 450 of them were about what they called the coming Messiah. About this man, this person who was gonna come and who was gonna rescue them, who was gonna save them from their oppression, who was gonna bring them into, into the kingdom again. He was gonna be crowned as the king of the Jews. See, the Jewish people knew these prophecies well. They studied these scriptures. They were familiar with what the words in the Torah said. But what they believed about this Messiah is important to understand. What they believed and their understanding of who this Messiah would be is important. They believed that this Messiah would be a, a literal political figure. Someone to come and, and wear a real crown and, and conquer the Romans who they were under the oppression of and to, as to be crowned as king physically and literally and to be able to save them from the physical experiences that they were going through. And so this whole time, they were waiting and waiting. And, and as they were talking, they were, what they were waiting for was actually standing right in front of them. This misunderstanding of who the Messiah was or who he would be actually stopped them from basically seeing Jesus right in front of them. And this understanding led them to have certain attitudes towards salvation, towards the Messiah, and I believe Jesus touches on three of these attitudes that I want to even, I want to walk through with us today. Those attitudes are this, endless striving. This is the belief that they needed or they were under the impression that they needed to earn or that they even could earn their salvation. 
Number two is endless searching. They thought that somewhere, somehow, maybe if they looked long enough, they could find their salvation. And finally, the attitude of endless anticipation, waiting and hoping that maybe tomorrow their salvation would come. Maybe tomorrow their Messiah would arrive. As I was processing through this section of scripture, I began to kind of realize my own tendencies towards these attitudes, my own tendencies towards endless striving, towards endless searching and endless anticipation. And I would bet money that every single one of you in this room can relate to one or more of those three attitudes. And I believe that Jesus, through the scripture, wants to speak to those and offer perspective into these attitudes. So number one, endless striving. Their whole lives, the Jews have been taught to pursue righteousness and obey the law, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but the Jewish leaders at the time basically began to become where their deeds were what their connection to God was, that, that their, their connection to God was dependent on how good they did and, and what they did in order to earn their righteousness. See, the rules that the Jews followed actually all came from the Ten Commandments, and they realized that, that they, they, they didn't know exactly how to do it. And so they began to kind of add a few more rules to bring clarity. Not just one or two more rules, though. Like hundreds more rules. They turned it into a science in order to try to obey the law to their best of their ability. They became professionals at earning their righteousness. Professional rule makers and rule keepers. You see, they found hope, comfort, and, 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 and maybe purpose even in their own ability to do righteousness. Because if they didn't have these rules to follow, what would they be? They'd be left having to face the very thing that those rules pointed out to them. That they weren't perfect, that they were broken, and that they needed God. See, that all along the commandments point out that our need is for God and for Jesus to actually save us. In verse 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Could it really be that simple? <laughs> Could it really be that easy? It seems like there has to be a catch or something, right? There must be something that we have to do. As you think about that, I want to tell a quick story. So I used to work at Starbucks. Some of you guys know that. But as I worked there, I began to notice that around Christmas time, people kind of got in the holiday spirit and began to actually start buying drinks for other people. They would do the whole, oh, pay for the person behind me. Or they'd say, pick up the tab of the person behind me. Whatever it was, I began to notice something that happened when someone would pay for the order behind them. So the person would pull up to the window and the response was always the same. When I'd say, hey, the person in front of you paid for their order. The response was always, oh, really? Like it was like shock. Like they were in total disbelief that this person would pay for the order. I even had a couple times where people asked, what did they say? Like they were concerned that like maybe they had done something or something was going on that they didn't know because it seems almost like there's no way that it can, that can be true, right? It can't, it can't be that simple. And oftentimes, more often than not, the second thing that they would do would actually be pay for the person behind them because they almost felt guilty. Like they felt badly that they didn't, they didn't have to pay for their drink. And so they wanted to pay for the person behind them. Like they had to do something, right? They couldn't just take this free drink. And we actually started to keep tallies of how long or how many people would pay for the drinks behind them. And it got up to like 10 or 11 or something like that. Like it was crazy. For some reason, they just couldn't accept the fact that someone wanted to give them something 
for free. Like there must be a catch or something, right? But I think that if we're honest, we can actually take that attitude into our relationship with God, thinking it can't be that simple. It can't be as simple. But Jesus, he makes it clear. He makes it very clear, clear that he has the final say on whether people are righteous or not. He has the final say. See, the Jews were trying to perform their whole lives so that when they came face to face with God, they would be judged as righteous. But Jesus is saying it's so much simpler than that. Recently, some of our staff did an escape room together. We were on a staff retreat and Jake, myself, Nathan, and Josh wanted to do an escape room, okay? So we walked into the place and we decided we were gonna do the most challenging one that they had to offer. I think it was like a 4% success rate or something like that, all right? And so as we did this, um, we... With escape rooms, there's kind of a funny thing that happens. You do a couple of complicated clues in a row and you imagine that it only gets harder from there, right? So you do two complicated ones and you're like, this next one, it's gotta be more difficult. And so we got to the final clue and Jake was running around frantically trying to figure out the code or figure out the solution. Um, And Nathan was in the other side of the room. He was trying to strategically plan to figure out how the other clues all lined up for this one. Josh was in the corner quietly trying to solve solutions on his own and I was basically just trying not to get in the way. All right, Um, but we tried the code backwards, forwards, upside down, reflected in a mirror, whatever we possibly could do, we tried it until finally we're like, okay, give us a clue, give us a clue. And it turned out it was the very first thing that we thought about, but we just thought that it was way too simple. Like it couldn't be that easy, right? It couldn't have been that easy. And I think that we do that with our relationship with God, right? Like maybe if I prayed better, or if I woke up at 5 a.m. to do my devotions, or maybe if I served at six soup kitchens, okay? Maybe then, maybe then I would be feeling better about my relationship with God. But the truth is that Jesus is the way to righteousness. Jesus is the way. The thinking that it's possible for us to earn our salvation is flawed. Something that I've noticed is that oftentimes when I sit down with somebody for coffee and I ask them how their relationship with God is or how their spiritual life is, their their response is often always the same. It goes something like, well, I missed out on my Bible reading a couple times this last week. Like I only read the Bible two times and I missed church last week. Right? And you can kind of, I, I would begin to see the guilt settle in onto them. And, and that was how they measured their relationship with God. And I think for some reason, for a lot of us, our performance is directly linked to our closeness with God. Our performance is directly linked to the quality of our spiritual life. What Jesus is saying in the scripture to the Jewish leaders is that what you've been doing isn't working anymore. What you've been doing isn't working if you put knowing me as your priority, if you know me, if I am the center of your life, you'll be saved. It's about what he did that saves us. Our actions flow from our knowledge that he has saved us. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've actually on your way to church, we're writing a list in your head of all the things that you've missed the mark on, all the things that you could be doing better. Maybe this past week you yelled at your kids or on the way here you were were in a fight with your spouse or maybe you missed your devotions. And and you're kind of thinking of all these ways that you could be better and do better and you're thinking, maybe if I just do that, I'll feel better about myself. Maybe if I just do that, I'll feel more worthy and you kind of begin to feel a weight of of guilt and a weight of this, this pressure to do better. 
I wanna let you in on something, okay? That, that weight, that pressure you're feeling is actually the weight of sin. And I wanna let you in on another thing, and it's actually not a secret at all. That very weight that you are feeling is the same weight that Jesus felt on the cross. That's the very thing that he died on the cross to be able to take off of you. That weight that he bore on the cross is the weight of our sin, of our guilt, and of our shame. Jesus died to remove that weight. He bore it himself so that we don't have to. You see, what you are trying to earn through endless striving has already been paid for. It's already been paid for. You can be free. It's free. There's no catch. It's that simple. Because you won't be saved by your endless striving. You will not be saved by your endless striving. The Messiah is right in front of you. Your striving is over. Okay, but maybe it's not striving that you struggle with. Maybe that's not the thing that you find yourself falling into, which is we go into our second point, which is endless searching. Endless searching. I knew this girl once who seemed like every single week she was with a new guy, all right? But every single week she got with this new guy, she felt like this new guy had the thing she was looking for. All right, and it was like one week she'd be with this guy, she's like, he's got it, he's, he's perfect, he has that thing. And then the following week, she'd be having conversations with people asking for wisdom to navigate her complicated feelings about how this guy wasn't the one. He just didn't have that thing, right? And the cycle continued, he wasn't tall enough, he wasn't smart enough, he didn't like that thing that I liked. And so the cycle would continue over and over again. It seemed like she was just never ever gonna find the guy who had the thing. And what I think rings true for a lot of us is that we can actually fool ourselves into thinking that if we look long enough, if we look hard enough, we can actually find that thing that satisfies. We can find that thing that we've been looking for. Maybe it's not a girlfriend or a significant other, but we have expectations on other things to maybe fill or satisfy it. It's like people's experiences. People chase experience or money or popularity. As people, we, we, we long to live a life of purpose that is fulfilled and has meaning and gives us affirmation and belonging. We all kind of have this hole inside of us that actually is never able to be filled with anything other than Jesus, but we continue to find ourselves trying to stuff things in there to, to satisfy, to bring us hope, to bring us purpose, to bring us meaning. See, Jesus says to those Jewish leaders in verse 39, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, the Jews clung to their scriptures as their salvation, as their connection to God, yet they failed to see what he was doing directly in front of them. They failed to see the Messiah was standing right there. See, the world is filled with these things that give us false promises of fulfillment, of things that, that, that they, they kind of, they're false advertising, right? They say that they'll satisfy, that they'll bring fulfillment and purpose and wholeness, yet they don't. Amidst a culture that seems to constantly be looking to sink people who they disagree with or who disagree with them, I think that we always are looking to avoid that fate. And so if we say the right things, if we use the right language, if we post the right thing, if we vote for the right person, maybe then they'll accept me. Maybe then I'll find purpose 
and hope. Maybe if I behave like them, if I participate, then I'll feel belonging. Then I'll feel acceptance. Then I'll feel whole. But every time we think that we found it, we realize that it's not. We realize that it doesn't have that thing that we've been looking for because we aren't perfect. And none of those things that we are chasing or trying to fill that hole with are perfect either. Sooner or later, that method, that organization, that political figure, that ideology will fail us, leaving us in the place of searching once again. See, it's like trying to find a key for a lock in a room full of keys. You look around, you're picking them up, and they fit into the lock, but they don't turn, right? They don't turn. It's like the things that we we try to fill that hole with. They satisfy for a short time. Maybe they feel good in the moment, but ultimately they don't open the door. See, in Jesus, we can find that fulfillment. In Jesus, we can find that acceptance. When, with Jesus, the key turns the, the lock and opens the door into acceptance, belonging, purpose, salvation. See, if we get stuck in this attitude of searching, it's like a horse with blinders on. We can only see that thing that we think that we need that will satisfy, and we actually fail to see the bigger picture. We fail to see what God is doing everywhere else. We miss out on God, how God is showing himself to us. See, Jesus has revealed himself to us today through scripture and through creation. We can actually step into a life where the searching can end, or we can stop looking and we can find true contentment, acceptance, purpose, and belonging. You see, Jesus wants for you to find him. Jesus wants for you to find him. He wants for you to walk with him. Jesus wants for you to see him. You can stop your searching. He is what you've been looking for. He is the thing that will satisfy. He's the thing that will fill that hole in your life. The Messiah is right in front of you. Your searching is over. The final attitude that Jesus addresses is this, endless anticipation, endless anticipation. So my wife, Sydney, and I actually celebrated our two-year anniversary recently, which is amazing. Um, But if you guys can do the math really quick in your head, what that means is that we actually had a COVID wedding, okay? So I'm going to take you back two years from now into March, okay? So I planned a proposal, and Sydney thought that she won a free photo shoot, okay? The proposal went off flawlessly, by the way. But... We planned this photo shoot. She thought it was a free photo. We got up to this lookout at the Sea to Sky gondola. I only had a minor heart attack when it was a whiteout blizzard for about 10 minutes, but that's all right. It cleared up and the photos turned out amazing, as you can see here. Um, but the week after, like I think it was Wednesday following that Saturday, the whole world shut down, all right? So we were a little bit worried. And so we began to kind of worry about these things and, okay, what's going to happen? Is it going to last till November? And we would have friends who would say, don't worry, like it's all the way in November. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. It's so far away. And so we'd feel like relief for like a week, all right? And then the next week, restrictions would tighten. We planned for 150 people and then we planned for 50 people, okay? And then we just began to realize that it's probably not worth planning at all because every day we had this hopeful anticipation that turned into anxiety and frustration and fear. And at the end of the day, our honeymoon got canceled and our wedding looked nothing like we thought, but it turned out beautifully. The one thing though that I learned, there's a lovely photo, 
Um, one thing that I learned from this whole experience, though, and through the, the, the worry and anticipation that I had that always left me feeling hopeless, I learned that tomorrow is probably the least reliable thing to put your trust into. Tomorrow is probably the least reliable thing to put your trust into. But you see, the Jews lived their lives in this state of anticipation, because the Messiah was coming, right? The Messiah was on his way. And so they lived their lives waiting, hoping, believing that tomorrow things would get better. But you see, living your life in this constant state of anticipation and hope being placed in tomorrow, it does something funny. It actually makes you kind of hate today. It kind of makes you hate this moment right now. It's like that feeling right before you go on vacation. The day before you leave for vacation, that day couldn't be shorter, right? You cannot wait to finish the work you have going on because tomorrow is when the fun starts, right? Tomorrow is when the break begins. Tomorrow is when it all happens. The moments right in front of you begin to matter a whole lot less because what is coming is better, or so we think. But tomorrow holds no guarantees whatsoever. Tomorrow holds no guarantees whatsoever. With all that's going on in the world, with high levels of anxiety and to-do list growing, maybe your tendency is not to put your hope in tomorrow, but you put all your eggs in the basket of tomorrow, treating it as if it's like some solve-all solution. Like it fixes it all, right? Like something lands on your lap and it's too big to deal with today, and so you put it off until your to-do list tomorrow, right? You don't wanna face it quite yet, and so you push it off until tomorrow. Next week, Next year, next time, you push it off until tomorrow. That to-do list for today keeps getting added to the one for tomorrow. And I don't know what season of life you're in, but sometimes tomorrow seems like it can't come fast enough or it seems like it's the solve-all, the solution to all of your problems. And we can find ourselves in the same cycle because tomorrow turns into today pretty quickly. Tomorrow turns into today pretty quickly like how many times have you found yourself saying, is it Monday already? Like, is it that time already? I'm sure a lot of you are feeling, is it Christmas already? A lot of times we can find ourselves in this cycle of, is it that time already? Because we put all of our hope in tomorrow. Jesus says in verse 25, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. See, Jesus is not just what is hoped for. Jesus is not just what is hoped for, but he is what hope is. Jesus is what hope is. Not only is he the way to eternal life, he's the way to a better today. Not just a better tomorrow, he's a, he's a way to a better today. Today is the day that Jesus wants to engage with you. Today is the day that Jesus wants to start a life with you. Today is the day that Jesus wants to offer you hope and purpose and belonging. Not tomorrow, not tomorrow. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Life doesn't start tomorrow. Life doesn't start tomorrow. It starts today. See, the waiting is over. We can have grace. We can have hope. We can have purpose. We can have belonging right now. He wants to engage with you now. Come to me to have life. Come to me to have life, he says. He wants you to engage with him now. You see, the Messiah is right in front of you. The waiting, the waiting is over. Striving is exhausting, 
Right? You push and you push and you work and you work and you try and you try to be better and you find yourself no further ahead, but just frustrated and exhausted. Searching is exhausting. You look and you look and you look and you turn over every rock. You look in every corner to see if you can find that thing and left, that at the end of the day, you're left hopelessly hopeful. Anticipation is exhausting. It builds and it builds and it builds only to let you down and leave you in a place where you feel more frustrated, maybe more overwhelmed and more stressed out than you did before you were waiting. Are you sick of striving? Are you sick of searching? Are you sick of anticipating? Because the waiting is over. All of those things are dependent upon us, upon our own ability to save ourselves, to find purpose, to find belonging. I have some really good news for you. Salvation is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon you. What Jesus did on the cross is the thing that, that allows for us to be saved, that gives us the option of, of salvation. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he did that saves us. See, he's here. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to engage with you. The waiting is over. The Messiah is right in front of you. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Go to Jesus and you'll be free. You will find saving. You will find life. The waiting is over. If you're tired of waiting, if you're tired of striving, if you're tired of searching, I wanna pray with you. Why don't you guys bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish here. With every eye closed and head bowed, if you're just tired of striving, tired of searching or anticipating endlessly, maybe you've actually never heard the hope that Jesus can offer. You've never heard that, that Jesus wants to engage with you and offer you those things. If that's you, I would love if you could just slip your hand up just to kind of signify that, that you wanna accept Jesus into your life. You could just pop it up for a short time. Amazing, thank you. You can put your hands down. If you prayed that, if you, if you put your hand up, I wanna pray a prayer with you this morning. You can just simply repeat the words after me. Jesus, I'm done with striving. I'm done with searching. I'm done with waiting. You are right here. You are right in front of me. I wanna walk with you into hope, life, acceptance, and purpose. Jesus, will you come into my life? Amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, and maybe you, you didn't pray it out loud or you just prayed it in your head, you, maybe you didn't even put your hand up, that's totally fine. If you even thought that you wanted to pray that prayer, I would love for you to text the word life to 604-670-3040. And we wanna start the journey with you. We wanna pray with you. We wanna give you a gift. We wanna walk with you into this life with Jesus. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have an amazing week. Love you and see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.